I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There is no better group of plants for flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla producing single rose like flowers continually from June to the first frost. Welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with your gardening quandaries. We've got a great interview lined up. A former apprentice at Thomas Rochford Nurseries at Broxbourne. Actually, Tom Rochford, they referred to Tom's Weeds because he introduced green-leaved houseplants from Scandinavia. That's coming up later on. It's been a mixed bag of weather this week. I mean, on Sunday, with us, it just rained and rained. Boy, we needed the rain. But I didn't really need that strong wind that came with it. Boy, that does so much damage. Very quickly, I must mention a new apple, well, new to me anyhow, called Surprise. Spelt S-U-R-P-R-I-Z-E. Very interesting. It has an orange skin and a, a pink flesh. Those of you going to the Malvern Flower Show, it will be on display there and you should certainly look it out. Uh, We'll have a bit more on uh, new UK apples in the programme next week. It's all good news in the horticultural and gardening world this week. I was very interested to hear that the English winemakers say that hot summer has produced the best grapes ever. One grower in Dorset's going to have double the number of bottles. Rebecca Hunsford at Farley Estate said the grapes will have more sugar and natural alcohol, so we'll make better wine. So, cheers to English winemakers. There are plenty of new catalogues coming, and I was interested to see in the catalogue from Pomona a new apple called Eden. Amazing, isn't it? that we haven't had that name used for an apple before. But the interesting thing about Apple Eden is that when you cut it, it doesn't go brown like most apples do. And so it's ideal for salads or for juicing. But it's one of what we call a dual-purpose cultivars. Uh, if you cook it, then it has snow-white puree uh, and needs no sugar. So uh, I can see that being... a uh, Quite a useful introduction. Must try and lay hands on uh, a scion or two. Uh, I don't think I've got room in the garden for many more apple trees. But of course what you can do in February, March is to graft uh, a different variety onto one of the trees you've got already and make what we call a family tree. I've got a Bramley with uh, three different kinds on it. So perhaps that'll be a good place for Eden. Another new catalogue from Robinson's. Uh, up in the northwest, those people who are absolute wizards when it comes to exhibition vegetables and especially their mammoth onion, they've got a, a new tomato which is called Oh Happy Day, an F1 hybrid with large red fruits and blight resistant 
So that's another one that uh, I'll need to have a go at. Going out into the garden, I cut a couple of mushrooms. Well, I didn't cut them. I pulled them and then cut the ends off, growing in amongst the flowers. I suppose the weather's really perfect for them. You know, heavy dews, soil a bit on the dry side. And, and I believe that I dug in some old mushrooms, spent mushroom compost into that spot. But it was several years ago. I also used quite a lot of the horse manure, composted horse manure. And they always told us as children that if you wanted to find mushrooms in the fields, you needed to go out where horses grazed because there was some kind of link between mushrooms and horses. I'd be interested to hear from any of you who've been out walking whether you've seen mushrooms or not. You can tell them fairly easily because when you pick one, it really smells a mushroom and you can peel the top white skin off fairly easily. Uh, you know, because I don't want you eating the wrong kind of mushroom at this time of year. There are a number of other things too uh, that we can be doing. All of the hardy annuals need to be sown. I mean, the back end of September, perfect time for stuff like cornflower and calendula and nigella and sown now in a really uh, sheltered spot. They'll overwinter and you'll get much bigger and better flowers next year. Don't forget the autumn flowering bulbs either. You know, colchicums are called naked ladies because the flowers come up before the leaves. Uh, they're well worth including, especially if they can come up through something which supports them. And remember, in the spring, they have great big leaves, almost like hostas. The specialist company holding a, a whole range of colchicum cultivars uh, is R.V. Roger Nursery up in Pickering. Boy, he was a character. I mean, the nursery is now in the third generation. But R.V., when he started out in the northeast, he spent the first autumn and winter double digging 10 acres of land before he even started to plant a rootstock. One of my colleagues that I worked with for many years, Bert Carling, the late Bert Carling, he was apprenticed there. And really, RV was quite a character. He would ride round the whole nursery on his bike each evening after the workers had gone home just to check everything was all right. And on one evening, he saw a bunch of pyrethrum cut and tied just lying on the ground. They should have gone, of course, to the RV Roger flower shop. And so he picked it up, drove a stake at the end of the row, tied the bunch of pyrethrum to it and put a sign underneath which said, Dead. And the next day, when the blokes came in and saw this sign, they wrote underneath, but not forgotten. <laughs> and Bert tells me that as an apprentice, he was hoeing away with a row of them, as we used to do in the nursery world. And one by one, the workers dropped their hoe, walked across into a stand of trees and walked back. And when the second or third one came back, Bert said, where are they going? And the chap said, well, to get their hair cut. Uh, the, the local barber's got his chair in that stand of trees and we go and get our hair cut. What? In the boss's time? Well, he said, it grows in his time. I'll tell you, they were great characters uh, and uh, they did an amazing job. 
I'm very pleased to introduce our guest today because I admire his green fingered skills. I do love people who can grow plants well. Our guest today is Paul Jackson of Channel Island Plants. Now you're up in Cheshire, I think, Paul. How are things up there? Uh, windy today, Peter, I have to say. So we're battening down the hatches, everything's getting blown around, but I think it's probably the same right across the country. But it's a quiet time of the year at the moment, all the stock's underway, but there's not a lot being sold for us right at the moment. We always get one of those strong winds when the runner beans are full of leaf and when my chrysanthemums outside are all getting a bit heavy-headed. <laughs> so, so it batters them, does it? Yeah, another of the frustrations. Oh, dear. But Paul, can you tell us how, how you got started in the horticultural industry? It probably all started at boarding school. We had to do gardening as part of the weekend duty. And so I really sort of got involved in it then. And when I used to come home at half term and end of terms, I'd sow seeds, collect seeds and just raise little plants. And I was getting the amateur gardening magazine then. In one of the adverts was for Rochford's Houseplants, which back in the day was one of the biggest houseplant companies in Europe. And so I applied for an apprenticeship and was really successful. So there was, took seven um, apprentices on that year. And that was, I have to say, Peter, that was 40 years ago to the month. Oh, so, right. So, oh. yeah. So that's where it really all started for me. But you weren't and, alone, were you? I mean, there were a number of apprentices that, that have gone on to really make their mark in the horticultural trade. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, they, they were pioneers, Rochfords were, in their day. And as I say, it was seven each year. So every year it brought people into the industry. And, and I know lots of colleagues now who are, you know, really high up in the industry. And, and it was a great grounding for everybody. And we did an apprenticeship, which involved three months in every department. So it was a really thorough training for the three years, which then taught you to become a craftsman. So it was an amazing thing, I have to say. Tom Rochford... Yeah. Uh, and his wife used to stage magnificent exhibits at uh, the Chelsea Flower Show. I remember seeing African violets. I mean, they were dinner plate size. Yeah, we used to love it. And if we were really lucky, or maybe it had been good as well, then we used to get taken to Chelsea, you know, to be on the stand. And it was really, you know, pride and place to actually be down there. So it was a real learning curve, Peter. And he, as I say, he used to spend three months so We'd spent three months learning about St. Paulias and three months learning about Primulas and Cyclamen and, and everything. So by the time you'd finished in that department, you really had a good grounding on that particular species. And we lived in a hostel on site. And, and so the whole thing was just really great times, I have to say. I remember interviewing the late Jock Davidson oh, yeah. because uh, he was watering St. Paulias. And he'd advised on air that you needed to use warm water. And I said, but when I came and saw you, you know, you had a damn great hose and you were watering them straight from the mains. Yeah. And he said, don't do as I do, do as I tell you. you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, there was a lot of that. I have to say. But it was brilliant. I can remember one day we were having to water the primulas and you had to take the hose pipe and put it into the pot and lift every leaf 
and not get any of the leaves wet. It was unbelievable. And somebody would come through and check that you were actually filling the pot up with water as opposed to just splashing it over the top. So that was one of the first things you ever learned was how to water a plant properly. Yeah, there was discipline, wasn't there? Eh? Really well. And high demands. But then where did you go from there, Paul? Yeah, so after I finished my apprenticeship, I came back to Rochford and, and they were really lucky that they allowed you to go abroad for a year if you wanted to. And so I chose Sweden, which... Um, you know, really shocked them. But it was at the time ABBA were really right at the top of their fame and hence the reason why I chose Sweden. But I was very lucky to get some work on a farm out there for nine months. And then I had a six months at Wed P. Evelyns who are now um, Florima. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realise that because uh, um, at, at Riddle College, one of our fellow students was Ken Ebeling, who married Anne Ebeling. Ah. Yes, so, you know, I went to Widdapee. Boy, yeah. they could grow cyclamen, couldn't they? Oh, cyclamen and, and ferns and begonias and all things like that. They were real specialists. So, yeah, and, and actually in my time um, when we had a little nursery, which I'd tell you about, but I, I actually bred a cyclamen after my mum and then sold it to, to Widdapee Evelyns and um, called it after my mum, so... So it was great. It was really good times learning, you know, back in the early days when really horticulture was just on, really on the up. You know, there wasn't a lot of species around at that time. And um, so they were just finding new plants all the time. It was great. So can I move you a bit forward in time, Paul? Uh, Because you worked in the Channel Islands. Yeah, I certainly did. About 30 years ago, then um, Four Oaks, I, I was working for Four Oaks, and nurseries and they were pioneers in developing the Safinia that had come from Suntory and so they had a nursery out in Guernsey on the Channel Islands purely to produce elite material of the basket and bedding plants that they were selling so from that moment onwards I have been involved well every year Peter so working on Guernsey it's a different world, isn't it? I know as a peat salesman, I used to go over for a week and trying to find the nurseries, find your way about was a, quite a, a demanding job. And when you got to the nursery, the nursery was often off on his boat for the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think there are any signs anywhere for any of the roads or anything like that in Guernsey because I think it goes back to the days when they were occupied so they didn't want anybody to know where anything was <laughs> and also the hedges are just like they are in Devon that you can't see over them so it was just having to go round a corner and a corner and a corner to come upon all these glass houses and, and the island itself was steeped in history um, with horticulture on tomatoes and lots of other crops but sadly like many other places you know today there's not many that are left on the island i have to say just one or two specializing but you're still representing the uh, moorheim company yep. with a number of these really very well-known summer flowering plants i mean safinia just think how that's changed the whole petunia world oh yeah it, it, it's been amazing it's been an amazing journey peter because sort of 25 26 years ago when Suntory bred the very first trailing petunia in the market and they came and brought it to us and there was just this purple plant of petunia that dangled down 
that when we showed it to all the cash and carries and everybody that would potentially be selling it, they said that would never sell. Who on earth <laughs> wants a petunia that trailed down? Because up till that point, all the petunias that were, were raised from seed and were lovely, tiny little bushy plants. And, and who would want one that was trailing? And, and really, that was the start of it that sort of revolutionized it. And that was from the company Suntory, the probably one of the oldest companies in Japan that were um, distillers of whiskey and beer and, and really wanted to get into more ethical practices. And, and, and they had a, a goal, really, that they wanted to create new products that enriched people's lives. And so they started to look at plants, amongst other things. And one of their criterias when they first started breeding plants was to try to make sure for the consumer that it was easy to grow, that it was gorgeous, and then it got longevity. And so Sophinia was born on this petunia 26 years ago. And really, from that, I just can't imagine how many petunias have been born ever since. So I know in Sophinia there's nearly 50 different colors and, and habits on them, but you know that really started the revolution in basket and bedding plants, I have to say. So we were really proud and, you know, pleased to be involved in that from the start. But it doesn't end there, does it? I've been watching the production and use of poinsettia, prinsettia, because that has, you know, quite different qualities, doesn't it? Especially the pink-coloured cultivar. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows the poinsettia traditionally has been purely for the Christmas market and red, really. And, and they came along with this new concept of a type of poinsettia with smaller bracts on it and um, lots more of them and lovely little yellow flowers in the center smaller leaves they were more compact the plants themselves broke easily and they were easy to grow and they, they were in stunning whites and pinks that were really different to anything that was on the market so they thought that they could really bring this with a new name and a new concept to try to market it outside of that traditional Christmas market. So I know it's been um, targeted in different parts of the world for like things like Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, and when there's been breast awareness campaigns around the world, they've used the pinks. And so now in the UK, quite a lot of it is grown for sort of November sales in a pot, looking really lovely, before the main crop of, of poinsettias gets sold through. So it, it's really perfect for sort of small pot production. But like every other poinsettia, it's a, it's a short day plant. So you need to just make sure that it's got at least 13 hours darkness to, to make sure it colours up. So, but, but it's a stunning, stunning, stunning little plant. Paul, that's very timely, that tip. Because if anybody's got a poinsettia in the house, which is green, they now want to make sure that as the days shorten, it doesn't have any artificial light. We're, we're right on time, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We're absolutely spot on time. So they've got what they call an eight-week reaction time poinsettias have. So, so yeah, you're right, Peter. And, and even the street light can stop it from colouring up. So anybody who has one it has to make sure it just gets no artificial light whatsoever from dusk to dawn from dusk to dawn yeah absolutely it must have at least 13 hours complete darkness and once you see the bracts starting to color 
yeah. then you can relax a bit, can't you? You can, you once, can. Once it's set, they'll keep yeah. growing. Yeah, they'll carry on growing, and you can treat it as normal then. I have to talk about Mandevilla. Okay. I mean, that's a great plant as far as I'm concerned. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. And the company, Suntory, came forward with their variety called Sonderville, and they actually brought that to the market about 15 years ago with the red one. And it was a diplodenia, so this sort of the two species go hand in hand, diplodenia and mandevilla, and they came with a diplodenia that was more compact than the standard mandevilla that people knew, but it still is a tender perennial, Peter. So it's absolutely wonderful for people's patios and gardens out in the summer, but then you must bring it in before any chance of the frost comes. But it really just gives that sort of happiness feeling and and takes you to the mediterranean and really warm places when you're looking at it so but it but it's a beautiful plant and can be grown as a pot plant or as a patio climber so and and now lots of colors i mean i think there's 25 different types of it now but you must remember that to get it to overwinter you need to bring it indoors and have it somewhere that's frost free nice and light but please please don't overwater it. Try to just neglect it, forget it, because diplodinias and mandevillas really are suited to very dry climes. So you'll probably kill it with kindness in the winter. If it's going to die, that will be it. It will have been overwatered. So please, please, hardly any water at all. I've got one uh, that we had at uh, Chelsea from you, cream pink. That's one of the new colours, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. That's in a nine-inch by nine-inch pot. Uh, and in about two or three weeks' time, before we get a frost, I shall bring it so it stands just inside our kitchen door and gets good, strong light. And in that position, it will flower very nearly year-round. Yeah, I mean, I, I know we've seen flowers on them at Christmas time, Peter, so if people can look after them, and it is a great plant to do that, but just watch out on the water, that's all I'm sort of warning, because if there is anything that anybody loses its cause of having too much water but it is an amazing plant really is an amazing plant and and grows year on year on year before we bring this to a close paul i must include sonetti because i love those boy they're great plants oh they they are phenomenal absolutely phenomenal i know i've grown some sonetti and and i know that on like in a bell pot so a sort of 25 centimeter pot with three plants in it and I've had more than 200 flowers open at the same time on the plant they're just absolutely phenomenal so they've been around now for about 15-16 years as well and they are a type of vineraria, a pericarlis and they've been bred to be cool tolerant and really can withstand all sorts of weather that get thrown at it but you've got to keep them just frost free so they need to be sort of plus two degrees um, to, you know, to ensure that they don't get frosted. So, but they're, they're flowering. Um, growers are, are, are potting them from now on in. They're normally sort of planting round about now and then potting right the way up till January. And they're starting to flower from mid-March onwards. So you'll see them in early spring. And that colour is just amazing. There's nothing like it. With those amounts of flower on it and the, the, the vivid colours, there's magentas that are really stunning. And, and honestly, 
they're just an amazing Paul, plant. So. you don't need to convince me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, if, you get, if you get one in late April, early May, it will flower right away through to November. And if you keep it a bit on the dry side, it'll even come up the next year. Oh, yeah. but, <laughs> that's amazing. The other thing, Peter, just on, on all of this material, because it's all vegetative produced, you know, you can just chop it off if it gets a bit scraggly or, or untidy or the flowers start going over. Just chop it off and it just comes back even better sort of three, four weeks later. And, and that's the same can be said for Safinia and the Sonetti. It, it, they're amazing. They just keep on going. Paul, it's great to speak to you. Look forward to meeting you in the not-too-distant future and see what other new plants you're bringing to the UK. Lovely. Thank you, Peter. Thanks ever so much. What's on? Well, on Sunday the 30th, the Bishop of Chelmsford is going to plant a tree at Rittle University College at 12.30pm to commemorate the college's 135th anniversary and then the party are going to walk to Chelmsford Cathedral for the Harvest Festival. Uh, so that should be a bit of fun. Uh, you'll need to be fit. You know, it's a couple of miles or so to walk, and I hope it's a really nice day, uh, so it makes a really good trip. On the 2nd and 3rd of October, the Royal Horticultural Society have their Harvest Festival show in London, uh, in Vincent Square, you need to go along to that, I think. Uh, they're only going to have uh, three more of those London shows and then that's the end. Uh, it'll be uh, quite a happening. You know, I've been going to those shows, oh goodness, certainly over 50 years and they were a great meeting place for members. But times change and the London shows are moving out to the Royal Horticultural Society's gardens. And when they hold them at Hyde Hall, that'll be handy because it's much nearer for me. On the 4th of October, it's the first tulips being planted at the Kirkenhof in Holland. Do you know, that's an amazing place. And they'll be planting 7 million of them. And from late March, early April, for about six or seven weeks, there'll be a million visitors from a 100 different countries to go to look at that bulb display. So if you want to be up with the quality of Kirkenhof, you need to be thinking about planting some bulbs. Thanks for listening. And thanks also to my sponsor, Westland Horticulture, and to Rich Jarman. Look forward to speaking to you next week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.